Welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We're excited to announce that we will now be releasing these episodes every week on Wednesday morning. The best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you listen. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via the Venmo app by sending your donation to at WildHeartNashville, or you can go to WildHeartMeditationCenter.org and click the Donate tab. Thanks for listening. Okay, today I wanted to bring forward a little bit of the knowledge and wisdom of Alan Watts to talk about a topic called the Backwards Law. The Backwards Law is a term that Alan Watts coined, and I'm going to go ahead and read it to start off the talk. He said, the desire for a more positive experience is itself a negative experience. And paradoxically, the acceptance of one's negative experience is itself a positive experience. So at first this sounds like a philosophy and it even maybe sounds a little bit confusing, but I promise as we go along it will make more sense, almost intuitively so, because it's a practice and it's a practice that many of us have experienced time and time again, whether you're new to meditation or you've been at it a long time. In Buddhist meditation, one of the core skills that we're developing through practicing mindfulness is equanimity. Equanimity is the practice of stepping back and observing our direct experience and allowing it to be exactly as it is without judging it. So this means that we let the thoughts that occur be thoughts, the moods be moods, the feelings be feelings. We let them all come and go and we just step back and observe as they arise and pass. This is the development of what Tara Brock would call radical acceptance. In the psychology field, they might call it distress tolerance or expanding your window of tolerance. Or in Buddhist circles, we might call it equanimity or the Pali Sanskrit word upekka. Equanimity, by definition, is an ability developed through meditation to let thoughts and feelings come and go without suppressing them and without getting pulled into them or obsessing about them. Do you notice this in your meditation practice? You sit down, it only takes a couple minutes to notice that your mind's wandering. When we notice that we're off into a future plan or lost in a daydream or a fantasy, do we judge that as not supposed to be happening. When we meet our experience with this type of resistance, we create this second level of reactivity that's simply unnecessary, but we do it all the time. So now not only is my mind wandering, but now there's an anger or aversion to the fact that the mind's wandering. So now there are two levels of reactivity. And what developing equanimity is pointing at is learning how to observe what's happening exactly as as it is without judging it. Ajahn Chah has some wise words to say about this. He says to try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. He says over time your mind will become quieter and quieter in any surroundings. It will become like a still forest pool. Then all kinds of wonderful and rare animals will come to drink at the pool. You will see clearly the nature of all things in the world. You will see many wonderful and strange things come and go. 
But if you don't react, problems will arise and you will see through them immediately. This is the happiness of the Buddha. The desire for a more positive experience is itself a negative experience. And paradoxically, the acceptance of one's negative experience is itself a positive experience. So one of the first things I want to talk about in this topic of equanimity, radical acceptance, distress tolerance, the backwards law, is how much our preferences and expectations really ruin our happiness. One of the fundamental problems with trying to find contentment in life is that we get lost in our mind's automatic preferences and expectations for our life. We're plagued with the constant feeling that this moment isn't quite living up to our standards for it. It's not warm enough outside. It's not cold enough in the house. It's not uh, exactly how we need it to be. It's not comfortable enough. When in reality, there's nothing wrong with this moment as it is. It may be painful, it may be unpleasant, it may be uncomfortable, but so much of the time what Alan Watts is pointing to here, it's really our need for things to be otherwise that causes our dissatisfaction. We live in an animal body and mind that prefers pleasure over pain. So it's not our fault that we want to feel comfortable that we want to eat only good foods, that we want to sleep 10 hours a night, that we like the feeling that caffeine gives us, wakes us up and helps us feel alert and productive. It's not our fault that we prefer pleasure over pain. One of the problems with following our automatic preferences or our craving for comfort and pleasure is that the things that we want to make us happy don't ultimately make us happy. They just temporarily provide us with relief. So as soon as one preference is fulfilled, another preference is waiting to take its place. I really think if we reflect on our life, we find this to be true. There's always the next thing, the next promotion, the next relationship, the next vacation, the next meal. We're always looking for the next thing, the next moment of pleasure. And the problem with impermanence is that these things don't stick around. As soon as one thing's done, another need arises. And we oftentimes are just swinging through life from one need to another, managing our preferences. This is why perhaps in Zen Buddhism, there's a quote that said that the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Similar to our automatic preferences, we also get lost in our mind's expectations, which are really our anticipated preferences for the future. And not all of our preferences or expectations for the future are explicit. They're not all clearly formulated in our mind. Sure, sometimes we plot and we plan and we organize our lives so that things are comfortable down the road. And there's nothing wrong with this type of planning and preparing, but so often of the time it's our implicit expectations. Expecting people to show up the way that we want them to, expecting people to not have bad days, expecting everything at work to go swimmingly all of the time. We're hard pressed to admit that we have these types of expectations, but I guarantee none of us get in our car on a day where we have a flat tire and say, well, it had to happen eventually. 
So our expectations oftentimes are just implied. We expect the car to drive to work. We expect work to go a certain way. We expect people not to interrupt our day. Meditation practice helps us to come to terms with the conditions of the present moment. The phrase that I've heard said time and time again is attributed to a monk named Ajahn Sumedho who has this simple way of putting it. He just says, right now, it's like this. It means we don't have to like how it is. We don't have to lie to ourselves and spiritually bypass the fact that we don't like pain. We don't like discomfort. We don't like inconvenience. But we can still come to terms with how things are without reacting to it. That means we can simultaneously not like the way that things are going, but also not have to react so strongly towards it when it happens. There's a quote that I found, I don't remember who it's attributed to, that says we are uncomfortable in our lives because everything in our lives keeps changing. Our inner moods, our bodies, our work, the people we love, the world we live in. We can't hold on to anything a beautiful sunset, a sweet taste, an intimate moment with a lover, our very existence as the body-mind we call self, because all things come and go. Lacking any permanent satisfaction, we continuously need another injection of stimulation or approval. We're continually driven to become something more, to experience something else. And I really think this last line gets at the heart of it in the Buddha's teachings, which is this craving to become something or this craving to have something else. The present moment never seems to be quite good enough for our preferences and expectations for it. The drive to have something else, to become something more, to experience something different is what the Buddha calls tanhan upadana, which means craving and clinging. When we get caught up in the drive for stimulation or praise or status or power or the reverse sometimes, which is the craving to get rid of something that's fully present in our lives that we don't like, either way, whether we feel like our present moment is lacking or we're wanting to somehow annihilate it, we make our happiness in these moments dependent upon something we don't have. We make the present moment conditional. Well, if I could just have more money, or if I had a better Airbnb, you know, or if that sun wasn't so bright, or if that cloud wasn't in front of the sun, then I could enjoy the sunset. Or if only I wasn't in so much pain, if only I didn't experience so much heartbreak, then I would be happy. And really the trick to the Buddha's teaching is not so much a trick, but it's really about radically accepting and embracing what's happening in the moment. That means right now it's like this. There's heartbreak, there's loss, there's fear. Right now it's like this. The Airbnb is not up to my standards. It's not clean enough. It's not full of all the amenities that I wanted. The sunset has a cloud in front of it. Right now it's like this. The desire for a more positive experience is often a negative experience. And paradoxically, the acceptance of one's negative experience is itself a positive experience. So that's really the point here, is that when we want things to be different, we automatically create this sense of lacking. 
And that lacking itself is what we call dissatisfaction. The Buddha says in one of his suttas that's called the gratification, the danger, and the escape, he says whatever joy and happiness there is in the world, that is the gratification in the world. But that the world is impermanent and pervaded by suffering, subject to change, that's the danger in taking refuge in the world. The removal and abandoning of craving and clinging for the world, that's the escape from the world. So here's what the Buddha is saying in the sutta. He's saying there's plenty of joy and happiness to be found in this world. Pleasant tastes, sights, smells, feelings, thoughts. He says there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with taking gratification in these things in the world, but the danger is that the world is impermanent, that every joy ends, every moment of pleasure passes away. Every pleasant taste and sight and smell and feeling will eventually fade away. And we will have more, but everything is constantly transient. It's always changing. And our suffering we experience when we cling and crave to impermanent things, impermanent conditions. So the Buddha teaches that there's this otherworldly happiness, this happiness that's not dependent upon the world meeting our preferences and expectations. It's really what we're seeking through a spiritual practice, through the Buddhist path, which is a deeper abiding sense of well-being, or what I might call equanimity. I like the word abiding because when I looked it up, it means patiently bearing with, patiently bearing with to be patient with the conditions of life. Doesn't mean we have to like them, but we accept them because they're real, they're true. There's actually what ha is happening in the moment. So we don't practice acceptance because we love acceptance or we agree with what we're trying to accept. We practice acceptance because it's the only way to live in line with reality. Right now, it's like this. This unconditional happiness is a sense of well-being that comes from being able to bear with our negative experiences with wisdom and compassion, understanding the temporariness of it all, seeing clearly and responding with compassion. Compassion simply means a movement of the heart in response to pain, an opening and embracing what is. I think it was Byron Katie who said that she's not a spiritual person because she loves to be spiritual, but because it hurts like hell to argue with reality. And I really think that's what the Buddha's teaching is that we're suffering because we argue with reality. We argue with impermanence. We demand permanent satisfaction out of impermanent life conditions. Life is full of pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame, status, disgrace. If we really saw clearly, the word in Buddhism is sampajanya, in Pali Sanskrit means clear comprehension. If we really clearly comprehended the suffering that came from running around and getting lost in our expectations and our preferences, we would stop having so many for the world. So to be honest, waking up in this way is tough business. It's not an easy path. It's a path that the Buddha said goes against the stream. So one way to practice with equanimity is by tuning into the background awareness of each moment, observing these preferences and these expectations that are constantly happening in the mind. 
One way I look at this is trying to look at when there's craving or a sense of wanting or lacking or anticipating in the mind. Leaning into the next moment is sometimes what I call it. You know, it's like where you're hanging out with some friends at their house. You just had a long day of work. You're so glad to be around everybody. But then 20 minutes into the conversation, into your time, spending time together, you start looking at the phone. You start thinking about what fun things you're going to do tonight or do later or what movies you should watch. Again, having preferences isn't the problem, but it's when we leave the moment and we make our happiness really dependent upon something that doesn't exist in the here and now. So we can have preferences, but the idea is to hold them loosely, not so rigidly. You know, to have more of I would like instead of I need or I have to. In secular mindfulness, sometimes they call this the observer perspective. In Zen, they might call it the original mind. Shoto Harada Roshi says the original mind is like a mirror. It can accept and receive everything, but nothing that is reflected can get stuck to the mirror. It reflects everything exactly as it is, but the mirror itself stays untouched. And here, this is what we're talking about as awareness is cultivated through meditation. So when we're observing these automatic preferences in the mind, we're not judging the mind for having them in the first place. We're just simply seeing, oh, reactivity in the mind, wanting, grasping, anticipating. And that awareness is enough to give us the power to step back and not engage in the impulse, the demand of the satisfaction of the craving. So awareness is really the powerful protector here. The Buddha calls mindfulness a guardian, like the guard at a watchtower, seeing what comes in and out of the village. We want to be able to protect ourselves from getting too caught up in, well, if only I had X, then I would be happy. Or once I get or I'd rather be somewhere else, doing something else, with someone else. We protect our mind with mindfulness, with this awareness. In Buddhism, the goal of practicing meditation is to uproot these three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. Those sound like dramatic words at first, but if you break it down, the word that is used in Pali Sanskrit is kalesa, which means defilement. And a defilement also sounds pretty dramatic. If you break it down, it actually means something more like covering. And the idea here is that our heart, our mind, this awareness is covered. It's been overgrown by this craving, this clinging, this hatred and aversion for pain. Uprooting greed, hatred and delusion simply comes by seeing them clearly as they arise in the present moment. The Buddha points this out in his instructions in the third foundation of mindfulness. He says, when the mind is full of greed, one simply knows the mind is full of greed. When the mind is full of hatred or aversion, one simply knows the mind is full of hatred and aversion. When the mind is full of delusion or confusion, one simply knows the mind is confused or deluded. So the prescription that the Buddha offers for uprooting greed, hatred, and delusion is this simple awareness. When we can see clearly that our preferences and expectations are covering up 
our contentment in the present experience, we simply abandon them in the moment. We don't have to follow the impulse. This is of course a practice. Learning to accept negative experiences starts with investigation. We can recognize when we're constricted or caught up in mental obsession and ask ourselves the question, what is really going on right now in the mind? The most important thing that we can do is we can learn through a simple meditation practice how to let our thoughts and feelings happen without judging them as good and bad and right and wrong. There's no such thing as a bad meditation session. Usually when people say, I meditated, but it wasn't a good session, they mean that their mind was restless. And the problem with their mind being restless is that they thought that it needed to be different, a lack of acceptance. If we can allow the mind to be restless and just watch it, notice the restlessness without getting involved in trying to change it or suppress it or fix it or obsess about what we're restless about, we can just see the restlessness as it is and let it come and go on its own time. Sometimes people think meditation practice is good because they're really calm and present. And that's great. It's nice when the mind is focused and concentrated. But the mind is not always going to be that way. Just like nature is not always going to give a clear sky. Sometimes it's going to be cloudy, rainy, snowing, windy. The mind has these same characteristics. But just like the sky is not the weather that exists within it, the awareness doesn't exist within these emotional reactive mind states which means there's always an awareness that's behind the weather pattern of the mind observing. So when we talk about the original mind, we're talking about connecting to this awareness that is simply aware, like a mirror, accepting and receiving everything, but nothing that is reflected can stick to this mirror. The desire for a more positive experience is itself a negative experience. And paradoxically, the acceptance of one's negative experience is itself a positive experience. Can we learn to come to terms with the reality of each moment of experience? It doesn't mean that we don't influence. It doesn't mean that we don't respond to what's happening. But it means that we don't have to do so with this idea that the world is going to permanently be able to fulfill our needs. Happiness in the Buddhist context doesn't come from attaining a perfected state, but by really letting go of the idea of perfection altogether. And that is the perfection of the Buddhist teachings. Happiness doesn't come from gaining and acquiring, from permanently finding satisfaction in this world, but really from letting go of that expectation altogether. And the willingness to wake up in each moment exactly how it is, right now, it's like this.